Sean Kelter is the most super fit person I know. My friend Sean is a chiropractor. He's super fit. He's a weightlifter, a runner, a P90X fan, a guy who plays multiple sports, a sincere Christian, a happily married husband with three kids, a reader, and someone who has made a lifelong study of all things health. I previously interviewed Sean about his views on paleo, Whole30, vegetarianism, veganism, the carnivore diet, and a few other things. Now we're going to talk about the rest of fitness. Exercise, sleep, water, relationships, and living a balanced life. And maybe we'll even try to emphasize how to get to be 100 years old. Maybe. Hey, Sean. Hello, Tim. Well, just to recap from last time, could you summarize what your own eating strategy is? Yeah. Um, well, fasting. Fasting's a big part of it. Um, I try to do generally like a 24-hour 20, fast at least once a week. I'm actually right now in the middle of a 48-hour <clears throat> fast. So, um, yeah, it's Thursday morning right now. I last ate um, Tuesday night. So, you know, feel pretty good. And eventually, your body just kind of starts eating itself, right? But, um, um you know, so fasting, hydration, plenty of good water, um, nutrients. Like uh, we talked last time a lot about the different kind of eating plans that are out there. Uh, I forget all that we kind of like dove into, but um, I think my biggest thing is like, I just feel like the body needs to be getting plenty of good vitamins, minerals, right? Those micronutrients. So when we think nutrients sometimes, you know, those of us in the maybe the health sciences, you know, we think macronutrients, how much fat, protein, carbohydrates am I getting? Should I be eating a low carb diet? Should I be eating a high fat diet or high protein, whatever? But, um, but micronutrients are incredibly important. So is the food that I'm eating rich in micronutrients like vitamin D, the, the B vitamins? Uh, of course, different people at different ages, different genders have different needs. Like if, if a woman's pregnant, you know, she needs to make sure she's, her body's rich in certain minerals and vitamins. So, um, and they're called, vitamins are called supplements. I don't mean to like jump off into a little tangent here, but vitamins are called supplements because they're meant to supplement your diet, right? They're not meant to take the place of your diet. They're meant to supplement your diet. So you eat a good balanced diet and then you take a good multivitamin because we just know that maybe the ground that our food is growing in, if we know where that ground is, we, we doubt sometimes that maybe it's as full of nutrients as it used to be or as it should be. So we say, oh, this apple that I just ate maybe isn't as rich in vitamins and minerals as an apple from 300 years ago or something like that. So we, uh, in fact, I think we know that that's the case, is that we're just not getting the same punch from the fruits and veggies uh, today. And, um, but people just also aren't eating enough fruits and veggies today. So we, we supplement with multivitamins. So if you can get the majority of vitamins and minerals from your diet, that's kind of how I and my wife, Jamie, our family, that's how we try to eat. We make sure we get like a serving of vegetables at every meal, um, uh, fruit a little bit, not too much, but just enough to satisfy those needs for vitamins and minerals. Um, we eat a lot of meat, right? We eat uh, we're not we're not vegetarian. We're not vegans. Um, if if you are, if you're listening, I'm not trying to like cramp your style. It's just not for us. I personally, yeah, I just it's not what uh, what I thrive on. So, um, but but you know, also Tim, I don't. I mentioned fasting. I, I try to do like a you know a one day fast every week. But I also just I kind of stopped eating breakfast. 
years ago. I don't know why exactly. Um, you know, you hear the old adage like breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I don't really know about that. Um, I guess if you threw a bunch of science in my face and research, it's like, here, this is why I'd say, okay, great. You've changed my mind. But uh, at this point, like, I don't know. I, I do morning workouts a lot of the times too on a completely empty stomach. Um, and I feel great. And uh, my body dips into the stores of what it already has. So if I had to outline like my eating strategy, I don't eat breakfast. I usually drink a cup of coffee with a little bit of MCT oil, that's medium chain triglycerides. You can get that from coconut oil or I have a bottle of like a variety of different types of chains of MCTs and maybe a little splash of heavy whipping cream sometimes. Uh, there's a lot of times I don't even eat lunch. Mm -hmm. and I'll go, my, I might, instead of exercising in the morning, I exercise at lunch and that's my lunch break. I just go out for a run or I go find a park and do some sort of like circuit. Um, and there's times I don't eat lunch either, so I'll come home just famished. My wife loves the fact that like, <laughs> she can cook anything and I'll eat it. Number one, I'm not too picky. But number two, when you come home and you haven't eaten since dinner the night before, uh -huh. you're ready to just like scarf down anything put in front of you. So I would say most days I don't even eat lunch. Like I don't bring lunch with me. Um, sometimes I worry that, that I'm not getting quite the full vitamins and, and nutrients that I need just because I... I just don't eat a lot sometimes, uh -huh. but uh, yeah, anyway, I make up for it sometimes on my cheat day <laughs> when I, um, yeah, like on a Sunday, we might go out and get some donuts after church or uh, we're going somewhere else to someone's house for lunch or dinner and there might be just a food there that's a little more processed or uh, a, a sweet or something like that or maybe a beer or two or three and um, yeah, I'm not averse to indulging in, in those treats, but like we talked about last time, I try to make those quote, cheat days, um, more intentional and planned, so. Okay, and and I should just say for people, John is just super fit, and he's muscular, and he's lean, and just very healthy, uh, so I, I, well, two quick questions about fasting is, um, what's the benefit of fasting? I mean, intermittent fasting is something I think a lot of people do, so let's say a person wanted to fast for 24 hours. What's the benefit? And also, how do you do it? I mean, I, I know it sounds simple, like just don't eat. But then what about when people get super ravenous? It's been seven hours. Sure. Uh, they're just dying. Uh, how do you make it through 24 hours? So there's a, one of my patients just recently did an entire year of intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting can take a lot of different forms, but it, it is just what its name is. It's where you fast, but you do it intermittently. And her, her exact program was she had, I think, maybe eight hours in a day where she was allowed to eat. And then for the other 16, she wouldn't. Okay. So, and she was very disciplined about it for a year. She loves to bake. She didn't change anything about what she ate. And if again, if we cover anything that we covered last time, forgive the redundancy, but... Um, she would, she liked to bake and she wouldn't lick the spoon if she was baking outside the hours of her eating window. She'd put it in the fridge, she'd come back to it when it's time to eat, she'd lick the spoon, right? Right. So some people would say, well, that's really hardcore. Well, yeah, that's how you get results. Right. And she lost 50 pounds in a year and it's not like she was 100 pounds overweight. She may have been just 50 pounds overweight because she looks great now. She... She's not as strict now as she was for that full year, but 
she's still pretty strict. She'll, if she's out somewhere and she's with friends and it's outside of that window, she'll go ahead and eat with her friends. But, um, but she still adheres to this intermittent fasting because for her, she's like, I've never felt better. And she didn't even change what she's eating. She continued to eat sweets wherever mm. she would eat sweets. Um, she didn't say, well, since I'm fasting, I'm, I'm only going to eat sweets because I'll make up for it on the back end because I'm fasting so much. No, she just kept eating the, the diet that she's currently eating, which is probably not as bad as that standard American diet, but it wasn't as intentional as, say, like paleo or something like right. that. Right. But uh, so anyway, with her, um, she, she said to me one time, she said, Hunger is not an emergency. It's not a call to action. That was sort of like what she would tell herself in those moments where she thought, boy, I'm really hungry right now, meaning something looks really appealing right now to me and I want to eat it, but it's not time for me to eat. So she would remind herself, I'm hungry. Whoop-de-doo. It's not an emergency. And that's true, but you know, we're, we're in a culture where an instant gratification. Boom. If I'm hungry, I don't even have to get out of my car. Not only do I not have to make what I want to eat, I don't have to get out of my car. I don't have to walk to the place. I just pull up to the window and somebody has made my food in 90 seconds and it went from I don't know what I want to now I'm stuffing it in my face in about a minute and a half. <laughs> right. And I didn't have to like raise a finger to even like you know make this happen. Uh, and so... In that culture of instant gratification, we want to instantly gratify ourselves. Oh, I'm hungry. I can do something about that. Put something in my stomach, right? But fasting kind of gets us out of that. So from kind of a, a spiritual, um, ascetic sort of side of things, fasting is incredibly beneficial because it reminds us that um, like it's okay to be hungry. It's okay to suffer just because you can alleviate your temporary pain should you not necessarily um should you just sit around and, and suffer for for no sake at all like no i don't believe that but i don't think there's a wasted suffering if you're hungry and you say you know what i'm gonna offer up this hunger for the souls in purgatory i'm offer up this for x y and z intention there's great power in that there's great grace in that god's given us that um opportunity so to work in a purpose driven fast of like, you know what, I'm going to be hungry, but it's okay. The hungrier I get, thanks be to God, the more, you know, the more souls in purgatory might get released today or something. Right. Like, um, yeah. So, so from a spiritual standpoint, fasting can be very powerful. Um, and then from like a combined physical, spiritual standpoint, uh, I think it, I really think it makes us better versions of ourselves because, oh, now you've trained yourself to not satisfy um, your human kind of innate desires. So now you're no longer a slave to yourself even in a small little way. So now maybe uh, if you're a man struggling with purity, you start to see improvements in that arena. If you're struggling with sleeping in and or sloth in some other form, maybe you start to see improvements in that arena. So you can see this these aesthetic practices like fasting um, really... Yeah, just kind of showing themselves, those successes showing themselves in other areas of your life too. So I think fasting is absolutely paramount. Everyone should be doing it. Um, and then also I had a friend tell me like, you know what? 
we as Catholics, like we need to capture back these practices like fasting because the secular world is taking these things mm-hmm. and they're using them. They're running with them. You can go out right now, you get online and you can look up fasting and you might find some Catholic, you know, teachings on it, but you're also going to find all these secular sites that are all about, oh, the benefits of fasting, intermittent fasting, look good naked. Oh, it's beach season. You know, why don't you fast so that you look really good? So they're realizing, or, or, or if you want to like uh, ace a test, or if you want, like, oh, this helps clear your mind or something. Mm-hmm. They they are using these, but but they're completely just ripping out the, the spiritual side because, you know, they don't care about that side. Um, but but there are other, like, there are other physical benefits that they've recognized that they're like, oh, we want to achieve these physical benefits. Let's use fasting for those reasons. And again, it's like, we as Catholics are like, man, they're they're fasting more than we are. Like, this is our stuff, you know? Like, we've been teaching fasting for centuries. What happened? Why aren't we fasting as much as we used to? I don't know the answer to that necessarily. That's probably a pretty complex answer. But we should see this happening. We should say, you know what? Why aren't we should be fasting more than the rest of the world, you know, for that sake of just the graces needed, you know, just for for our intentions and for those in need. Um, so he just kind of made that point that we need to capture these things back. We need to capture back fasting. We need to capture back cold showers. <laughs> we need to <laughs> capture back exercise, you know? So, yeah, fasting is a part of an eating strategy. Incredibly important for a lot of different reasons. Well, and you've hit upon about three major points, um, but but I think this also really just dovetails into what I wanted to ask you next, which is what is your comprehensive view of fitness? But I, but I just want to summarize that on one level, you said fasting has always been a religious idea, a religious mm-hmm. principle. Uh, Catholics have always believed in prayer, fasting, and charity or almsgiving, and I believe other faiths have too. But then, of course, there's the nutritional and physiological benefits. And then third, there's just the whole Jocko Wilnick idea of discipline equals freedom. Mm -hmm. That if I can exert a little bit of self-discipline over myself and tell myself it's not an emergency if I haven't eaten in six hours. It's just simply not an emergency. Uh, How about a trick of the trade if somebody is trying to fast and their self-discipline is starting to crumble What's just something quick they can do? Like, I don't know, drink a glass of water, drink two glasses of water, sure. go for a walk. What's what's just a trick of the trade that yeah. will allow me to keep going? Say a prayer first, okay. right? Because ideally you're fasting because, not just because you're trying to lose weight uh-huh. or not because you're trying to achieve some other non-spiritual benefit. Those benefits will come, Right. Uh, and that's and that's okay. That's good. But it should. I think it should be seen more as a side effect. Mm. Um, I think we again as Catholics should be looking at fasting primarily from like a spiritual standpoint. And if we're doing that, then the very first thing that I'm going to do any moment I start to feel discomfort is to pray, right? To say a prayer, like God, help me suffer this for that intention mm. that I previously had in my heart before I began this fast. So that'd be my first step. After that. Yeah, drink some water. Water has incredible like hunger curbing abilities. So sometimes when people are hungry, believe it or not, like again, this is this is science based, this is research, they've found that a person's just dehydrated. So if you're hungry, you may not be lacking food, you may just be lacking water. So mm. if you go drink water, 
that can take care of it. Um, and if you absolutely feel like you need to eat something, that doesn't mean a number three from the you know lunch menu at whatever drive-through place. It could just be a, you know half an apple or a spoonful of almond butter or uh, you know anything. Just something little, right? Just give yourself a little something little and then see if that does right. something your, that's maybe, I don't know, 100 calories or something, something like that. Yeah, give your body just a chance to, to, to swallow and to start digesting what it is you just gave it and see if your brain gets a message from your stomach that says, hey, you can turn off the hunger hormone right now, right? Okay. That ghrelin and those other hunger-stimulating hormones that our body will release to get us hungry so that we go in search of food. It's, it's all just good physiology, right? Your body hasn't eaten anything. Your brain becomes a little worried, like could, you're not going to survive because your brain doesn't, I mean, your, your body doesn't necessarily know, oh, I can just, I'm going to eat again soon. I'm not going to die. It just might go into this like scared mode of like, oh, we haven't eaten in right. four hours. Like, yeah. This is disastrous. And, uh, but then you give it a little something and hormones start to get released and then suddenly everything kind of calms down, right? Okay. Um, another cool thing about fasting is, not that I'm advocating going this far with it, but um, there's a there's a neat secular documentary about fasting, and there are places where people will go to recover from health issues, Okay. and all they do is they fast. They drink water, ah. they take these like liquid vitamins that are not caloric, and they fast. And it seemed like everyone at this place, you know, there's all these like peace ponds and, you know, like nature scapes and they're just going uh -huh. around and they like, they're trying to like, you know, probably meditate or be at peace too. And, uh, they say like, yeah, day one, you know, you're super charged up. I can do this. You start to get a little hungry. Day two is kind of miserable. And for some people, even day three gets really rough, but it seems like across the board, once they get past three to four days, they just hit this. Flow. Oh, interesting. And I think that's where like that ketosis sort of comes in. Yeah. Your body stops, like, stops utilizing or craving carbohydrates. Right. Because for most of us, that's we're the, carb burners. We're carb burners. So now your body hasn't had carbohydrates in three days. It's used up all the like a lot of the stored glycogen in your muscle tissue, mm. and now it needs some other fuel just to keep you alive. And it's like, wow, look at all this fat. I'm gonna go into that. I'm gonna break that apart. I'm going to get those ketone bodies. I'm going to use those for energy. And so all of a sudden you just hit, they hit this flow yeah. where they're like, wow, yeah, I'm still kind of hungry sometimes, but my appetite isn't really there. Um, and, and I just feel good. And they start feeling like a little more clear headed and certain diseases that might like thrive on high sugar environments. Mm, yeah. They start to see positive improvements with those. And it's, it's kind of fascinating. You know, I don't yeah. think I'll be able to give that whole documentary justice in like a, five minute snippet but do you remember the title ah uh, the, the power of fasting maybe? okay something okay. like that something okay but uh but yeah i say that just because it's like people get scared like oh i'm, I'm dying i'm hungry i need to eat right and yeah and they just like they kick their fasting to the curb um but if you if you give it enough time you'll you'll kind of hit your zone and again i'm not advocating saying like hey don't eat anything for four days but when I first started fasting, it was during Lent, probably eight years ago. Okay. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? Like, I, I had a great Fat Tuesday, and I thought, I'm good. I don't need to eat all of Ash Wednesday, and I'll eat again Thursday morning. But, of course, by lunchtime on Ash Wednesday, I'm like, I'm pretty hungry. But I'm like, well, today's the day of fasting abstinence anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to offer it up and get through it. I got to Thursday morning. I was 
incredibly hungry. I ate something. It was one of the tastiest meals I've ever had, right? <laughs> but every Wednesday during Lent, I decided I'm going to do the same thing. So I didn't eat during all the Wednesdays in Lent. I would okay. just go from Tuesday to Thursday without eating. And it's, it got so easy. It got so easy the second time, the third time, the hundredth time that I've done it now because I decided I'm going to keep this practice up. So that's why I always have one day out of the week. It's not always Wednesday now, but one day out of the week where I don't eat anything. It gets easy. It gets easy. So if if you try to fast and you make it eight hours without anything, you skip breakfast and you get to lunch and you're like, I just have to eat lunch. Well, have a, have a small lunch or have something. Right? Yeah. But then the next time you attempt it, try to go a little further. Okay. Try to go a little further. Take a ba- take baby steps. Before you know it, if you stick with it, if you pray through it, you'll you'll find yourself doing a, a full day you or just whatever you might like to do. Have to baby step your way into this. Yeah. Instead of saying, "Oh, I'm going to do a 24-hour fast," people might find that, well, if you're used to eating every four hours, then you might be doing a five-hour fast. I mean, sure. that's a baby sure. step. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. eventually it's a six, then it's a seven, then it's a twelve, and yeah. that's just maybe how that works. Yeah. Okay, let's get into your whole idea and philosophy of comprehensive fitness. I'm probably going to break this down later and ask about exercise, sleep, and water, and maybe a few other things. But but just overarchingly, what's your idea about comprehensive fitness? Comprehensive fitness... um, Yeah, like maybe I want to see if I can live to be 100, or maybe I just want to be functional and happy right now so I can be good for others and good for myself. Mm -hmm. It's So you've got aerobic capacity, right, which is like your heart's ability to pump enough to get enough blood to your muscles and other parts of your body uh, so they can do whatever work it is that you've taxed them to do. So if you want to go for a run, if you want to lift some things, if you want to just vacuum the entire first floor of your house without stopping or something, you know, like people are going to be at different fitness um, levels and capacities based on age or deconditioning, etc. But your heart needs to be able to handle the work. It needs to be able to pump out, again, enough nutrient-filled blood so that your body can do what it needs to do. So aerobic capacity is important. Uh, anaerobic capacity is important, which is like quick movements, a sprint, mm. uh, a heavy bench press, you know, not so much endurance based, but how much power can we generate right now in this moment? And then you've also got flexibility. That's important. So I'm looking at fitness here again from like, like a physical standpoint. It's probably what we're talking about, right? Physical fitness. So you have to hit those three things. You can't just be all about lifting heavy weights. You can't just be all about going to your yoga class five times a week and just stretching all the time. You can't just be about going out for a run at, I don't know, 60-70% of your max heart rate and and that's all that you do. You you have to be a, like a cross trainer, right? right. Is, is my belief. Yeah. Okay? People might argue with me, that's fine. You ask what my comprehensive No, that's is. that's yeah. So my comprehensive fitness involves those three things. So I think if you if you do high intensity exercise, then you can hit both anaerobic and aerobic at the same time, right? So you can lift something really heavy um, a few times or uh, and then and then you kind of move into something a little lighter, a little easier, and then you give your body just a bit of a chance to recover from that like 90% max heart rate that you could not possibly sustain for more than you know, maybe a couple of minutes, and then you go back 
to that high intensity stuff again and then you kind of rest a little bit. It, it's kind of like if you were riding a bike and you just put it on a resistance of six okay. out of 10 and you just rode it for an hour. Okay, great. Your, your heart rate went from resting to about 60% max heart rate and you just lived there for an hour. Well, good, okay, that's, that's better than nothing and, uh, and it has its place. But let's say instead you went from zero, you did like a little five minute warm up and then you went all out. You cranked that resistance to a 10 out of 10 and you just pedaled your heart out for 30 seconds. Okay. Right? And then you just crank it back down to like a two and you're just, you're huffing and puffing, sweats already, you can feel the sweat coming. And then you spend the next minute and a half kind of pedaling at a two. Okay. And then you crank it back up to a 10 for 30 seconds. And then you go back down to two for a minute and a half. And you do that over the course of an hour, that is so much better for your body. You're going to get a release of human growth hormone, which is going to be important in recovery. You're going to do things to your metabolism so that when you get off of that bike in an hour, if you just lived it, you know, 60% of your max heart rate for an hour, you get off that bike, you're pretty much done burning calories from that bike ride. But if you do high intensity exercise for that hour, you get off that bike, you will continue to burn calories even after your workout. Plus, you're going to build more muscle mass because you're doing that anaerobic side of things. That right. 30 seconds of high intensity is building your glutes, your hamstrings, your quads, your calves, all those leg muscles. And having more muscle on your body will also require, during your rest times, mm. um, more energy, more nutrients. And so you're going to be burning more calories during your rest time because you've hit that anaerobic side of things. So I'm a big fan of high intensity exercise for the sense that it uses intervals of anaerobic activity to drive like a, an aerobic activity too of just like, you know, that the endurance that it requires to sustain that up and down high, low intensity bike ride over the course of an hour or whatever it is that you might do. It could be 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be bike riding, but, and then after that you cool down, which is going to involve some flexibility, some stretching, but then also I like to devote like a, a workout a, a week to just stretching. You know, P90X would do that, right? They right. Yoga X, which in P90X1, it was an hour and a half. That's right. And it was kind of hard too because there's some postures that you hold for 30 seconds and your legs are shaking, right? Yes. But, um, but then they kind of, they backed down. P90X3 is all about kind of 30-minute workouts. Right. And so their their newest yoga is just more like of a 30-minute kind of, kind of a thing. But uh, yeah, if you spend 30 minutes to an hour once a week just taking your whole body through all of these different stretch poses and postures, that's also important. Because this is a bit of an aside maybe, but when it comes to stretching and flexibility, if, if we had 100 people in a room, this is, my, this is my opinion, I believe this is true, but if you have 100 people in a room and I told you, hey, 10 of these people do some form of flexibility training pretty regularly, and these are like 70 and older, you would be able to pick those 10 people out just by watching them walk around, bend down to pick something up, get in and out of a chair. And I base this like opinion on patients of mine who are like, oh yes, I, I stretch frequently or I, I have a morning ritual where I kind of just get out of bed and I, I go through this like 10, 15 minutes of stretches and it keeps them young in a lot of ways. And then you see the people who don't ever do any type of flexibility mm. training and they just... They appear brittle, they appear very limited in their mobility, and, and the, the adage of if you don't use it, you lose it, it's true. It's true. It's true with joint mobility. If you 
don't explore your body's full range of motion frequently, your body will start to lose that range of motion. And, uh, and it just goes downhill from there. You know, the joints are healthiest when they are moving fully. Oh, interesting. That's a little nod to chiropractic yeah. care too. That's yeah. one reason I think chiropractic care is so important. I chose to be a chiropractor is um, a, a fully movable joint segment, not a hypermobile, but also not a hypomobile, which means like not moving enough. You want it to be fully movable in its normal range of motion. That is the healthiest joint. So if we want to stay loose, limber, healthy joints, we have to stretch. Okay. So we talked about stretching and then we talked about, I think, cardio uh, in the sense of I want to go fast, then I want to go slow, then I want to go fast, then I want to go slow, you know, do some interval training mm-hmm. type of a situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about weights? Yeah, weights. Strength uh, training. It depends on what your, uh, what your goals are. So we won't get too far into this. Um, I can tell you right now, I, I think it was, it's almost been 20 years, which is ridiculous. It's been probably about 15 years since I was at Washburn studying exercise physiology. And things have changed since then, you know, things that we know about the body. Uh, I haven't kept up on all of the exercise physiology research, but um, generally speaking, if you want to build muscle, it's better to lift heavier weights, fewer repetitions. Yes. So if you want big biceps, don't grab 20 pounds if you can lift 80 and just go, 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 go. Right, right. Don't do sets of 10 or 20 or 30. Grab the heavy weight. Grab 60, 65 um, and and do four or five. And then take a break and then do four or five more. And and it's it's all about kind of like muscle recruitment and muscle damage. one, one thing that's kind of changed, and this is why I say generally speaking, is I have heard over the past handful of years that if you grab those 20 pounders when you can do 80 and you rep those things out until your arms are totally gassed, so basically you do like 70 reps and your arms, like the first 40 are no big deal, then you start to get a little tired, right. and then by you know 70, Somebody walks in and they see with a 20 pound weight that you can barely lift. And you're like, <laughs> I swear I'm on 70. Like I didn't just start. But uh, that, that will recruit just about every like spindle of muscle in your bicep. And, and that will also lead to increased growth, right? So you can get those big, big arms from doing lighter weight if you will go to fail. Okay. So, but we, we have to go to the failure point, is yeah, what I'm hearing. Yes, you have to. You have to kind of reach a point where, like, failure means you have no longer any muscle in that area that is capable of contracting with the rest of the muscles to to lift this weight. The muscles are just done; they're gassed. Right. So, if you, uh, yeah, I mean, the reason you can do four, five, six, or twenty repetitions is because your muscles, in one way, are conditioned, but also. They, they have enough fuel in them to just continue to work. But then finally they reach a point where you're like, they're, they're not working. There's anymore. no more. There's no more. And so you've, you've now sufficiently recruited them. So there's neurological power there because now every muscle has been reminded how to work. Because generally I drink this water, I lift this cup, you know, maybe 3% of my shoulder and bicep muscles are working right now. But 
if I, instead of lifting this cup, I lift heavy weight and I lift it to failure, now probably 90% of my muscles have gotten involved. So those other 87% that aren't used to getting work, they're reminded how to work. They've, they've formed this connection with the brain and, and that's important, right? But then also, if you damage, they repair, they grow a little bit as they repair, the muscles get bigger. So the individual fibers get a little bigger, but then you also start recruiting more muscles. You, you essentially kind of learn how to lift something. Sorry for getting, we might be getting way off. No, 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 this is good because I mean, the three big categories I think we mentioned were cardio, flexibility, and weights. Yeah. So, and uh, with cardio, I'm hearing do interval training and Mm -hmm. maybe sprint till failure, so Mm -hmm. to speak. With flexibility, I'm hearing that it's just very important and uh, we can't leave it out of the equation, especially if we want to be 70, 75 and and just be able to spring from the chair. Mm -hmm. I I was hearing a story about an 89-year-old movie director and uh, this younger guy who was super fit, who was the star of the movie, maybe about 40 years old, something like that, but just super fit, was just saying, it's just ridiculous how spry this guy is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's out there demonstrating to us. There was like a scene where somebody is supposed to fall backwards. And he was demonstrating to somebody who was 40 years younger. He would physically do it himself. He would, he would fall backwards and then he would just spring right back up. And the man is 89, Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. So just amazing. You know that he can he can do this, but he's spent a gigantic chunk of his life trying to stay in decent condition. Yeah. So I just think that yeah, we're we're hitting I think the major things. You know, cardio flexibility and strength. And mm-hmm. with strength, I'm hearing lift till failure. Yeah. So if, if all if I can. have is twenty pound weights, sure. and if I'm Mister Universe, and if I can do you know a thousand, but I can't do a thousand and one, well maybe I've got to do a thousand and one. Right. I've got to reach that point where I just drop over. Right. It, it can, and it can be really difficult to lift to failure, right? It, I, I kind of think of a, that football coach standing over you yelling like, come on, one more, you know, you can do one more of these, one more of those, and you think, I cannot. But they make you, and you find yourself doing four more. You're like, wow, I didn't know I had that in me, right? So having a partner to, to exercise with mm. is beneficial. If, you, if you're not able to like pull out that like one more rep, like by yourself, um, to have someone telling you like you can do one more. You know, that's I think that's the hallmark of a of a good coach, a good motivator, someone who leads you to a uh, leads you outside of your comfort zone and continues to kind of like push you along a little bit. But they also recognize when you've had enough, right? Because uh, you know, you going to failure is it's a hard thing to do. I don't do it a ton. It's not like that's how I lift all the time. You know. You and I went for a little workout before this. We certainly didn't work out to no. failure. We had a nice little, we did some push-ups, some squats, some lunges in the driveway. We jogged down the road to a park. We did some lunges in the grass. We did some pull-ups on the playground equipment. We did some push-ups with our feet up on the bench, right? But we never went to failure. No. So you don't have to always lift to failure. Right. I guess is an important message. Okay. Um, sometimes it's enough to just do some push-ups, do some squats, do some lunges, do some pull-ups. Um, and that's, I think another important thing about strength training is you got to get every muscle group involved. Don't be, don't be that guy at the gym with the huge upper body and the chicken legs, (laughs) right? 
But also if you like a particular sport or activity, if you're a soccer player, if you like to run obstacle course races, if you like to uh, ride horses, if you like to like, bowl or play golf or whatever activity you like, the demands on your body are going to be different. And so don't be afraid to specialize in that regard, right? Yeah. So, so, so you could lift for soccer. Yeah. That kind of thing. Or you could run for power lifting. Something. Yeah, you, like you could get your specialized program yeah. so you could kind yeah, of yeah, do yeah. what you want. Right. Well, okay, uh, some people do try to balance things out. They think about things like flexibility, power, speed, coordination, agility, balance, and accuracy. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have a method or a plan where you try to balance all these things out? Yeah, I think what we already talked about with the um, getting your cardiovascular training in during your strength training by doing high intensity intervals, um, that, that works on power and, you know, speed at the same time, maybe, or, um, it, it's neat. You'll, you'll get into like, again, very specific exercises. If you really want to focus on speed, then going out and jogging is not what you want to do. Right. You want to do repeats at the track or somewhere else where you're like, I'm going to run 200 meters, 20 times, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to time myself. This is kind of what I do um, during my running training. I have a day where I do a tempo run, which is like a higher pace. I have a day where I run sprints. I have a day where I run hills. So the day where, where I run sprints, like I started out with running 12, 200 meter repeats. Like I'm going to run these in X amount of seconds and I'm going to give myself X amount of time to recover between each one. And then you just keep bumping that up. And now I'm up to 400 meter repeats. And of course, I don't run as many as I was running with the 200 meters, but I'll kind of start working up to, you know, one week I'll run this many reps, the next week I'll run some more reps, I'll reduce my recovery time. Um, so different things, different activities are built more towards speed, are built more towards power, which, you know, power is like how quickly can I get this thing off of me? Like I forget the, the physics equation, but I think power has to do with like force and speed. So if I can lift something that's heavy, it requires force, like mass times acceleration. Yeah, that's what it is. So I'm going to push this thing and there's a, there's amount of force, but this, the quickness with which I push it, right? That, that increase in acceleration or something, um, it, it, it's, it's more of a power generation output, right? So power is important for alignment. And if alignment needs to be very powerful in his bench press, because his job is to push somebody quickly off him, right? I'm keeping you away from someone or I'm getting you out of the hole where this running back needs to run through. Like I need to have explosive power, explosive power. in my upper body and in my legs, because that's where my power is kind of coming from, is from my foundation, my legs. So they're going to do specific exercises to work on having more power. Flexibility may be important if you're a gymnast, obviously, right? Or, or something like that. It's important for everyone, even that NFL lineman, but to different degrees. Um, I, think, I think during strength training, compound movements, functional movements are important. So a bicep curl, like a one-armed bicep curl, is not a compound movement, really. And it's not that functional. But to grab weights, to, to, to bend, you know, just to squat down, grab weights off the floor, stand up with them in the same movement, curl them up to your, to your shoulders, push them up over your head, 
bring them back down, maybe kick them back with your triceps, do a lunge with one leg, leg a lunge with the other leg, and then squat down and drop the weights, and then maybe do a burpee, right? And then that'd be like one repetition. And then you repeat that three or 10 times or whatever. Right. That's a very compound movement. And there's a lot of functional movements in there. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of compound functional movements. I think those are very important. Those are gonna be important for coordination, for balance, because you're using your core a lot during that type of a movement. You don't need your core when you're doing a single arm bicep curl, really. Right. And a lot of folks don't even use their core when they're doing a two arm bicep curl. You see a lot of body movement trying to help cheat that weight up, you know? Right, bad so, form. Yeah. Bad form. Yeah. So I Which, think... Yeah, bad form, that's just, I don't know, they told me back in the day, hey, that's just a side of ego because you don't want to take any weight off of the right, bar. Right. Uh, you know, so you're doing all this stuff that's bad for you, like arching your back. Sure. And I guess throwing your spine out of whack. Yeah. Just not so good. Right. I would agree. I, I'm not saying that if you ever saw me doing strength training that you wouldn't catch me cheating once in a while. When you're lifting to failure, you find yourself trying to just get every ounce of energy out of your body you can to finish that last repetition. And uh, and I'm okay with cheating there. Some people might disagree and say, if you have to cheat, then you shouldn't be lifting that weight. You don't want to hurt yourself. But I think it's also functional to recruit your calf muscles mm. on the last repetition of a curl. Right. Because if you're lifting something and moving something it's like uh hold on bill we have to put this down because i find myself using my calves right now and 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 that's kind of cheating it's like let's just get this thing up where we need it to be you know so it's i think it's a functional thing to just recruit other parts of your body in a safe way yeah i don't i don't know how you lift a failure without failing you know, if I can do nine, but I can't do 10, and then I'm, I'm struggling to do that 10th one, the, the whole point is I, I want to get to the point where I'm falling apart. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the whole lift to failure idea because uh, that way I use every last muscle fiber that I have. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was the whole point. Yeah, yeah, but, but you want to do it safely. Right, right. right. You, I mean, if yeah. you're doing a squat and you're trying to do that last squat, all of a sudden you lose the the core right now you're in big trouble you could herniate a disc right so you have to be careful oh i'm going to do one more deadlift no you're not because your back was bent pretty significantly during that last one that was the fail i'm not letting you do yeah i'm not letting you do another one if you can't do the deadlift with the correct form then you don't need to be doing it get weight off of that bar you're going to hurt yourself right you can lift to failure but the moment your form starts to go and your body mechanics are like now in danger that's where you've that, that's, that's when failure you already hit the failure yeah. yeah so like if if i could do nine and if i failed on 10 with sloppy form then don't do 11 yeah that's absolutely. kind of what i'm hearing absolutely okay yeah. okay uh let's uh before we get into other things like sleep and water uh advice for core core of your body mm-hmm. um that's a really good question and i have a, one of the things a really good answer <laughs> sit-ups are not a core exercise okay Something that I've learned in kind of my chiropractic studies is uh, sit-ups will trash your lumbar spine. Flexing your lumbar spine under load is is a biomechanical no-no for your lumbar spine. It, it stresses the discs. It, it bothers other parts. It just, it just shouldn't be done. So if you're doing sit-ups currently as a part of your fitness plan, don't do them. 
Mm-hmm. Don't do them anymore. Sit-ups only work this muscle group that's called the rectus abdominis. Those are your six-pack or eight-pack muscles, right? And it can be very appealing to have big six-pack or eight-pack muscles. But you can get those with crunches. You can work the rectus abdominis by doing crunches. You can work your lower abdominals by doing leg lifts and flutter kicks. None of those flex your spine, your lumbar spine. When you're doing crunches, your lumbar spine will stay flat on the ground. It's not bending. When you do a sit-up, you're bringing your lumbar spine up off the floor. It is curving the other way. It is flexing under load. And, you know, one, two, or a thousand isn't going to wreck your back, but... You do sit-ups as a part of your general workout routine over the course of 20, 30 years or something. At some point, something bad is going to happen. So so I should be doing flutter kicks and leg lifts and crunches. should be doing side planks and planks. So again, flutter kicks, crunches, not necessarily um, core exercises either, at least not to the same degree that doing bridges. bridges. If you don't know what those are, just look them up. Um, planks, side planks, um, and, and you can just throw in a lot of different variety there, right? You don't have to just sit in a plank. Like you can do a plank for 10 seconds and then lift one arm up and reach to the sky with it and kind of turn your body into a side plank, come back down. You want to throw in a push-up, you can do a quick push-up because while you're in a good push-up form, your core should be engaged. You should feel your glutes and your quads very tight when you're in a push-up position. And then hold that position for a little bit, reach up to the sky with the other hand. You don't have to just sit there in one place, although you can. You can do 30 seconds of a front plank, then move to side plank position, do 30 there, do 30 there, lay on your back, bring your rear end up off the floor, make a straight line from your shoulders on the floor up through your hips, which are off the floor, to your knees, which are bent at about 90 degrees, and then your feet are flat on the floor, and stay in that position. And then you can maybe kick one leg out for a little bit and down and kick the other leg out. You might feel that in your hamstring doing a bridge like that, but it's okay. Hamstring's part of the core. Your glutes are a big, big, big part of your core. People think core, they think the six-pack muscles. Right. And that's what I'm saying is that's not your core. So if you want to work out your core, work your glutes. Work uh-huh. your rectus abdominis muscles some with some crunches and something safe, but work your obliques, work your transverse abdominis, which is a deep, layer of muscle that is kind of like you think of a a weightlifter's belt or a mover's belt okay it's basically someone throwing on an extra layer of transverse abdominus Mm. outside of the skin how do you work that transverse abdominus is good like side planks are good for that um something called abdominal hollowing where you just like little pelvic tilts um pretty much any core exercise i think in some way is gonna work that transverse abdominus muscle um but, but balance really works your core. If you... Um, Stand on one foot. Yeah, standing on one foot, like that's going to engage your core in some degree. So you remember in P90X3, yeah. they started to like, they would do bicep curls or shoulder press, but you would also stand on one foot that's while right. you were doing it. That's right. Because it's like, well, we could stand here on two feet or we could stand on one foot and that's going to kick it up a notch. All of a sudden, like I can't cheat, right? I can't swing my body around because I'm on one foot trying to balance. But also, if I, if I had sensors on my core muscles, I would see my core muscles just firing. As I'm swaying, as I, whoa, I almost went over this way. Now I overcorrect and I almost went over this way. You would feel those core muscles just, just firing off. And, um, 
See, those programs are so good, like those P90X3s and just everything, all those 30-minute uh, programs, because they would try to address, I think, those 10 CrossFit-type skills, you know, like balance, flexibility, coordination, stamina, and strength. Because mm -hmm. let's say I'm just doing curls, bicep curls. I'm standing with both feet on the floor, I've got good form, and I'm just doing bicep curls. Well, that's great, but you're probably just working strength. Mm -hmm. But if I stand on one foot, then, okay, now this is going to be humbling. Instead of lifting 40 pounds with a bicep curl, I might be forced to drop down to five because yeah. my balance is so crap sure. that, uh, gosh, I'm just wobbling, stumble, fumble. I'm on one foot. Mm -hmm. But after a while, gosh, now I've worked on my balance. Mm -hmm. I've worked on my coordination i've worked on my strength right uh, and maybe i'm huffing and puffing and sweating so i'm working on my stamina right there's just you're working on so many different avenues yeah and your, your efficiency is so much better and so your workout time can be less yeah so that's one thing that i struggle with now when i was younger i go to the gym for an hour and a half some days oh sure but i was also like i would bench press however much weight 10 times and then i'd take like a minute break mm -hmm. just sit there on the bench probably stare myself in the mirror or something, you know, whatever. Like, I'll admit it, you know, I I was vain like that. And uh, but Of all the magnificent Greek gods who are populating right. this gym, I am the Greekest. Yeah, right, the Greekiest or the geekiest. But uh, I, uh, I would, I would, I just wasn't efficient in my exercise. The, what I was doing over the course of 90 minutes, I can do now twice as, uh, I get twice the workout in 30 minutes. Right, just because of the knowledge of things like you were just talking about, I don't have to just sit here and do a bench press. Like I can, like I can do a bench press and then I can superset it with a different muscle group. I'm gonna go over and do squats and then I'm gonna come right back to doing bench press because my chest is recovered. I wasn't using my chest when I squatted, but I also kept my heart rate up. So now I'm working my cardio system, which means I don't have to strength train and then go over to the treadmill and go for a jog to work work my cardiovascular That's system. Right. right. That's right. So it's it's. It's good to have this knowledge because it's like, now that I'm married, I don't want to spend all of my time working out. Um, in fact, I never, I, I rarely, I should say, I rarely work out when my kids are around. Um, sometimes I will, and it's good for them to see like mom and dad exercising. Oh, for sure. But I got my workout in today while they're off at uh, doing some activities, and you and I went and did our exercise. Or I'll do it during my lunch break at work so that I don't come home from work while the kids are awake and say, excuse dad for 30 minutes. I can't read you that story. I can't play with you because I'm going to go exercise. Well, I'm doing something good for them by staying in shape, but I'm also taking time away from them. So I need to find time to exercise. But if I'm super efficient in that exercise, then I'm able to get it done quickly and then I can go back to you know, being the dad. That's, that's why I love just where the physiological, the exercise world has gone with these 30-minute programs. Maybe it was all led by CrossFit. I just don't know. But they just look at those 10 CrossFit skills. They redesigned all of this thing according to science. Because, gosh, when I was a kid, it was just so typical. You'd see some guy who was super buff and looked great. And then you would realize, yeah, he is spending an hour and a half a day in the gym. Well, now we eliminate the hour and a half. We turn it into a half an hour. We're working on 10 different skills, flexibility, balance, coordination, strength, speed, stamina, all of these things. We eliminate the gym. We don't have to drive to the gym, so we save drive time. We mm -hmm. don't have to pay for the gym, mm -hmm. so we're saving money. 
uh, we may have just a little bit of simple equipment at home mm -hmm. and uh, like a pull-up bar for goodness sake what is that 25 bucks something like that yeah, I bought a piece of pipe for maybe nine dollars and some caps and then the two by fours I already had and so I just yeah I think I built a pull-up bar your own. for Fewer than $15. And I, and I guess I'm doing free advertising for Bowflex or for Beachbody.com, but Beachbody's got all those 30-minute programs and then Bowflex with those dial awaits. I mm -hmm. mean, they, they fit in a very small space, yeah. maybe about the size of two shoeboxes at the right. most. Right. And gosh, you know, they're dirt cheap. I picked up a bunch from Dick's Sporting Good for 325 bucks. And then I calculated in terms of saving me time driving to my gym. And my gym is free because mm -hmm. it's work-related. But I will save 3,400 miles a year on my car. And uh, I will save 176 hours right. drive time. And you know, whenever I go back into work, here I'm going back into work on Saturday and Sunday, so I'm there seven days a week. Right. Psychologically, that's probably not good for me to be there seven yeah. days a week. Sure. So, so I, I don't know. I'm just I'm saying there's ways to compress all of these things. And, yeah. and I, I feel like you've always done an excellent job of that. Try to. I mean, sometimes I think we believe that if I buy gym membership, I'm all of a sudden I'm on my way to becoming fit. But then I realize, oh, I have to actually use that gym membership. But same thing, if I build a home gym with some of those Bowflex, which I have some of those, and a pull-up bar and, you know, other things, which like my home gym is... You've seen it. It's like it's like a box. I mean, there's not much yeah. in there. Yeah. And, uh, and there's not much space in there, but it's it's everything I need. You know, the most important thing it has is gravity. So if, if you've got right. gravity, you've got the ability to exercise. But um, just because I built a home gym doesn't make me fit either. I actually have to use that too. So um, we buy the fanciest equipment. We get the nicest gym memberships. And then we don't use them. And then we don't get fit. And then it's like, what happened there? So you don't need complex programs and complex equipment you just need a desire to become a better version of yourself and use exercise to do that right it shouldn't be about vanity um but you know lean a lean body a strong body um better function and, and performance in sports and other areas of life are going to happen more energy is going to happen but um so there's a lot of great just physical and mental benefits that come from exercise. And, I think so. But but it, but it can also be a good spiritual thing too because again, it's denying yourself. It's denying yourself the rest. It's pushing yourself through one more repetition when your body's screaming like, I can't do another one. But it's like, yeah, you can, you know? Um, but it's maintaining humility about it, maintaining the right attitude about it. Um, like who knows who knows what kind of trials we have in store for us in our life? You know, God knows, and uh, if we ask Him for the grace, He'll lead us through those trials. Some of those trials might be physical, right? Right. So well, uh, just yeah, build up our resilience exactly. because we don't know what's coming, right. you know. And uh, I would say there's 500 good reasons to get in shape, but just do it for your kids so that you can goof around with them and you can pick them up and you yep. can just have fun oh, with your kids. Do it for your kids. I yep. mean, I, I love all the other reasons. I love the spiritual. I love the self-discipline. It, it really is important to have a reason, mm -hmm. you know, so that you can become that person. The book Atomic Habits basically points out that the easiest, maybe not the easiest, the best way to change your habits is to change your identity. It's to become a brand new type of person. So if you're the type of person who is 
well, I am fit because I do it for my kids. Well, then that's a core identity question, and mm -hmm. it just makes it easier to do those things. Sure. Then if you miss a workout one day a week, well, then you just fell off the wagon, but for just one day, then you hop right back on the next sure. day because that's the person you are. Yeah. You know, so you just you just get back on it because of identity. Another way of saying what you just said so well is uh, if your why is big enough, then the how takes care of itself. Yeah. Because you will switch your plan because mm -hmm. this is what happens is, is this is why they have 20 different programs at Beachbody or 25 or 30 or just however many they have now. Uh, because people try one thing and uh, then you get bored. Mm -hmm. And also maybe your muscles just get too conditioned to it and we need to embrace this, uh, these ideas of overload or muscle confusion. We need to do something different so that our body is forced to readapt. So I, I was just chatting with somebody who lost 50 pounds down from 314. Now he's still quite overweight. Uh, he's 260 pounds, probably could stand to be about 190, but, but he's lost quite a lot of weight and looking much better. And he was outlining this plan that the Canadian Mounties used to use 100 years ago. And it was maybe a 15 minute a day thing. And it involved push-ups and pull-ups and a bunch of other things. And what I said was, A, I think that sounds like a really good program. And B, uh, just understand that wherever you start is not where you're going to wind up. That's a good program for starters. Mm -hmm. So you can do that, and uh, I'm sure it will be absolutely great. But at a certain point, you're probably going to want to shake it up. Sure, definitely. Okay, so let's shift over into the topic of sleep. Yep. Um, I was listening to a world-class Iron Man one time and he was saying the one thing that people won't do is they won't sleep mm -hmm. and that was his secret sauce that was how he would win yeah thoughts you, on sleep well you and I were talking about it before we kind of got on air here and there are going to be some people who tell you like, there's some very high performing individuals who sleep three to five hours Tony Robbins is one of them supposedly I've never asked him face to face how much do you sleep but uh, if if the internet is to be believed, then you know Tony Robbins has said that he generally sleeps three to five hours. There's another guy I remember hearing speak in chiropractic school named um, John DiMartini. He is also like a three hours sleep, uh, three hours of sleep a night kind of a guy. I I don't function on three <laughs> hours of sleep. I I need I personally need about seven. Common knowledge across just kind of healthcare is going to be seven to nine for, a, for an adult, right? Um, kids have different needs. Maybe elderly have different needs. But for you and me and for the general like common adult, seven to nine hours is all you should need. Um, so you can play around with that. You, if, you, if you usually sleep nine, try to sleep seven. See how you do. Maybe you'll actually do better and you'll realize, wow, it's two hours I just you know, stopped wasting every day and, and it's improved my, my, my life. But quality is important too, not just quantity, of course. So, um, how how do you sleep? Do you do you toss and turn? And there's gonna be a lot of a lot of different things we probably don't have time to go into. Like, is my room dark enough? Am mm. I eliminating screen time x number of minutes or hours before bedtime? Am I not reading like like stressful, not bad stress necessarily, but exciting literature 
or, or watching an, a very exhilarating TV program right before bed? Am I, uh, is my mind just racing because of all these tasks that I have to do? So there'll be tricks where you get out of bed, you write down all these things, and then you go to bed and you're like, oh, I, I did like a brain dump or whatever they call it, and now I can just go Relax. to sleep, right? Go to sleep. Um, we've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old and the baby on the way. Sleep is a, like uninterrupted sleep is a hot commodity around these parts, which is fine, right? So I, um, I don't know. It, I, my sleep quality is not always great, but, uh, but, but also building that habit is important too. So in our house, we get to bed by 10 o'clock, Jamie and I, so that I can be up by five and I can do my mental prayer and you know, kind of start my day that way. Uh, if we don't get to bed on time, then we don't wake up on time. And um, yeah, it's it just, I would say, quick answer, just try to get seven to nine hours and, and just look into how you can improve your sleep by reducing screen time before bed and, and all those other things that we talked about. Good nutrition, of course, is going to be important. All of these health things, they play an important part. If you're not exercising, then maybe you're not as tired at the end of the night or maybe your body doesn't collapse into sleep as well because it's like well, what do i need to recover from sitting on a couch all day and you know eating snacks so <laughs> right if i'm not getting any activity and if i'm eating all of the wrong foods then that's going to be a gigantic detriment sure and then people are starting to look at pills and things like that and yeah. so now we're just heaping you know a whole bunch of bad things right. on top of other we're going after things. the effect and not the cause of the problem it's right like, oh lack of sleep well we can drug you well, what's causing the lack of sleep? Shouldn't right. we focus on that instead? Is it yeah. diet related? Is it something else? So yeah, definitely want to always address and attack the cause of any health issue and not just the effect. Okay. Well, just one or two other things I just want to mention about sleep is uh, once I hit over 40, then I ran into some rough patches and I looked up paleo sleep tips mm -hmm. and they were things like, hey, go to tar Target and buy some $10 blackout curtains. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, those things were a lifesaver. Yeah. Everything you said about screen time was correct. Uh, and then there were certain beverages that, you know, like if I was going to have a beer uh, in the day, I'd probably be better off having it at, I don't know, five o'clock, mm -hmm. if I'm gonna go to bed at 10.30, and definitely not have three, uh, maybe have one, possibly have two. But I've even found if I don't have a beer for say like a week or two, uh, then even one or two, it, it can just, it can cause some real damage. So there were just a lot of things that I just noticed in terms of, hey, eat the right things, drink the right things, uh, get the blackout curtains, go to bed at the same time. Uh, one of their tips was uh, have the room be about 65 degrees maybe. Yeah. And if you're cold, just use a lot of blankets. And, and sure enough, this stuff started to work. I started to like sleep all the night through. So, mm -hmm. so um, we've kind of already talked about water. Let's talk about other things like relationships and stress and part mm -hmm. of the reason i ask is so i interviewed a champion iron man the guy came in first in his age bracket wow. and uh, he will point out that you know stress in relationships will definitely affect your running time sure and i knew from my own marathon life that that is a hundred percent true you could be doing everything else right you could be exercising you could be um, eating right, you could be sleeping appropriately, but if you're under a tremendous amount of stress, it would impact your performance. Right. So I, I would just love to hear your thoughts on good relationships, good stress. Yeah. I mean, granted, we could talk about that for six weeks. Sure. Yeah. And we're, we're, we've also, we've, yeah, we've covered a lot. So yeah, um, I'll try to be brief. It's 
there are a lot of different factors that go into good health and um, it's diet is important exercise is important but kind of the psychological and spiritual component of health and well-being in my opinion might be the most important mm. so you've got that friend who is religious about their exercise and their eating you know but Maybe they're just not a lot of fun to be around. They're really stressed about what they can't eat and what they have to do as far as exercise and training. And that person's just not really fun to be around. Right. They might start creating rifts in their relationship. Like, oh, why don't we invite Sean out anymore? Well, because he's always talking about how he can't eat that because it's got this in it, which makes me feel bad about <laughs> eating it. And, uh, and he's always talking about exercise and making me feel like a slouch because I only like go for a light jog three times a week you know it's like hey more power to you if you're super disciplined about certain things but that's your life right that's what you enjoy you don't have to cramp everybody else's style um, you've asked me a lot of questions on like just science-based stuff like what what's the best way for this this and this well here's what science says and here's kind of what my personal experience and what my own opinion might be but I'm not going to hold someone else to my opinion if it's my opinion that you should sleep a certain amount of hours, but you don't sleep, I'm not going to just say, well, you should sleep this much. Why? Because science and research say so? No, it's, it's because it works for me, and I think everyone should do what works for me. Relationships can be negatively affected by just maybe the intensity that mm. some people care with trying to live the healthiest life possible. But they forget, oh my goodness, relationships are a big part of a healthy lifestyle. So... Maybe I should, yeah, just focus more on not just preaching to people, but encouraging them along, right? More encouragement, yeah. Less, less preaching. Absolutely, but so, but also knowing that relationships are such an important part of health and well-being. We won't get into the like stress response and how oh, being super stressed creates issues with like epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol, all these different things, which can be good in but short bursts. But it can also harm you if, if, it's, if it's around chronically or for a long time. So your body might have an increased stress response to a, an, a dangerous animal. But you escape that animal and your body returns to normal. When that animal never leaves, if that animal is like stressful news or stressful relationships, that animal never leaves and your body is constantly agitated and stressed out right. that starts to negatively affect your health so bad relationships are like that animal that never left and so i'm always living in fear mm. and fear is not a good thing to be constantly living in because your body is in a stress response that acutely is okay but chronically is devastating so find ways to to address your relationship before it starts to stress you out don't let it become stressful before you start you know, making deposits into it or, or working on it. It's a good tool for marriage too, right? Like don't wait until the fight to have the conversation. Always have the conversations and, and be open and good communicators and and then you'll limit the number of fights, you know? Yeah. And uh, same thing with just any relationship. Um, just, yeah, I don't know, like just be virtuous in your relationship. Be humble. Realize you don't have all the answers to everything. Be charitable. Don't think of the relationship as like 50-50. Well, I'm doing 50. This person's only doing 40. You give 100. And, and maybe that person will give 100. If you're in a relationship that's just not good and you can't fix it, you know, the other half or, or part of that relationship just isn't willing um, to, to do the work, then get out of that relationship if you can. 
if you're in a group and you're like, you know what, this group used to be what I was about or it used to meet my needs and, uh, but it's just not for me anymore, that's okay. They'll understand, you know, you have to do what feeds you um, because if you don't, you're going to be stressed about it and that stress is going to bring you down. I think that's well said. There's just maybe two points I just really want to underscore. One is just the whole idea that friendship is two people or 10 people looking in the same direction mm -hmm. together. And this is why people maybe have their tennis friends or they have their work friends. Like, let's say we're work friends, but then we don't work at the same place anymore. Well, then the friendship might end because it might have been based on work. And that's perfectly fine. Um, so if your friends and you are no longer about the same things, then it might be time to kind of call it a day and sure. kind of separate. And then the other thing that you kind of men mentioned or hinted at was I remember reading Mark Sisson, kind of the godfather of the whole primal movement, which is paleo, but it's, it's more. And he said he would emphasize nutrition, exercise, but then also cortisol, which is your stress hormone. Yeah. A little bit of stress is good. Hey, it makes me like lunge for the tennis ball, you know, but too much stress and uh, I'm just going to fall apart. Right. And uh, just a final story on that. I know of a friend who was a, just a fantastic marathon runner. And I think she had ran maybe 32, 33 marathons, something like that. But she just had been hospitalized for various health crises along the way. And, and I just thought she was just the greatest person, but I have to admit, she was also one of the most stressed out people I just ever mm. met. Uh, there was always work stress or boyfriend stress or family stress or some other kind of stress, and it just ate at her. So, I mean, it was just ironic because on one level, she was maybe the best marathon runner that I knew. And then on the other level, she was just, ugh, just suffered from so many health calamities. Yeah. So... Um, is there anything on, on any of these topics, nutrition or uh, exercise or stress that you feel we need to cover that we have not covered? No, I think the last thing I'll say is um, there's a question you had here. What is it about health that people don't know? Yes. And I had a very simple answer for that. And that is that health is not the absence of sickness. That's not health, right? So some people think like, well, I don't have sickness. I must be healthy. That would be the same as saying like, well, I'm not, like wealth is not the absence of poverty. Right, 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 right. I could be at a zero net worth yeah. and wealth is not the absence of debt. Right, right. Yeah, so, so don't look at health as, well, if I don't have any symptoms of anything, then I must be healthy. Health is kind of like that extra level. It's, it's that abundance, right? So if wealth is like some sort of monetary abundance, then health is, is also an abundance. So just always strive for improvement. Strive for just small changes, right? But they'll build up. Like one of my mentors has a, uh, a like small changes, big shifts mentality, Dr. Michelle Robin. And so she um, kind of preaches that too. It's, yeah, health, health, is, health is about doing, right? It's not about, well, I don't have these negative things, so I must be healthy. It's like, no, you need the presence of these positive things, positive relationships, joy in your life, passion, purpose, good nutrient-rich food, hydration, physical activity, right? Like, just get, get those things into your life. Whatever level you're at right now, just try to be better tomorrow and, and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And, and take breaks, you know, rest, have cheat days, all that stuff, but... 
just just look where you're at right now and just search for a way to improve some component of your life and you'll be healthier tomorrow than you were today. John, I think that's absolutely beautifully said and I think we'll leave it there for now. Great. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again so very much. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for listening to this episode of Seemingly Ordinary. The biggest favor you could do for me would be for you to share it far and wide. Until next time.